Okay, here we are, February the 23rd, 2014, lecture discussion number 144 on the book of Romans. I actually even have a little book of Romans in it, though I won't read it today because I have so much information. i got to go really fast. I'll clean it up again next week as best I can. But as usual, I'm trying to get the information into the record. For all you folks on the Internet, thank you for all your letters. Uh, obviously, uh, this is something that interests you. I've gotten quite quite a bit of Response. I don't think you've heard any of mine uh, yet, but uh, you are certainly responding to what I'm responding to. What I mean by that, if you've been with us the past two Sundays, then you know that I have once again attached myself in parasitical fashion to the most recent example of the creation versus evolution debate. Uh, really quickly, so you, if you wonder who's going to win this debate, evolution is prophesied in the Bible to end. There will, no, there will not be any evolutionists at the time of uh, the Antichrist or the tribulation, if you will. You will either worship the Antichrist or you will worship the true God. You will not have an atheistic view. Atheism will, is prophesied by Scripture to be completely and totally gone. Oops, I dropped something. So... Uh, those of us who like to read ahead to see who wins should know that. Anyway, let me restate what the creation versus evolution debate is in my language. Uh, is the evolutionary process as described by its advocates a sufficient mechanism for the rise of complex, low-entropy biological life, self-cell replicating biological life? Now, when I say low-entropy, I mean high chaos. When I say, I'm sorry, when I say, I said it backwards, my goodness. When I say low entropy, I mean spectacular complexity. When I say high entropy, I mean uh, total randomness. And that's going to cause you, just cause me problems. And I've been doing it for 20 some years. So is evolution a, a mechanism, a sufficient mechanism uh, for the rise of complex, low entropy biological life? And I made sure to include entropy into my, uh, my uh, definition there, if you will, into the evolutionary supposal, because I want to make sure that the inviolate second law of thermodynamics is always included whenever I have a discussion on evolutionary uh, thought processes. Every time I talk about evolution, I do it the same way. This because it's critically important, I believe, to decide whether or not you want to believe something that says you will cease to exist and have no, you have no future, you have no essence, no personhood, except what you currently have now. It'll be gone, you'll be gone forever, there is nothing after this temporal existence. And existence can't be temporal, as you know. That's a contradiction in terms. So nothing besides this temporary state that is then revealed to be completely, totally black. And I also include the uh, second law and first and second laws of thermodynamics or entropy whenever I talk about evolutionary philosophy. Now, the creation side is this. Is, the, is an intellectual agency, a mindfulness, an intelligence, a creative, a creative being who observes all things, is an omnipotent, omnipresent, um, uh, omniscient observer, in fact, the only possible source uh, the, of the physical reality and the spiritual reality. And notice what I did. I wanted to make sure that you have the observation effect involved 
into the creation model. Also, the uncertainty principle. We'll get to that as time goes by. So that, that at a basic level, um, is what this recent debate was all about between Mr. Ham and Mr. Nye. And it was readily apparent to me while I'm watching it that Mr. Ham and Mr. Nye were anxious, as some would say, clamoring uh, for me. I'm surprised they didn't say it, but they were clamoring for me to come alongside them and provide my usual assistance and commentary in my usual timid, unassertive, demure way. And some would also add humble to that. And by some, I mean me, right? Okay. So with great hesitancy, I have allowed uh, Mr. Nye and Mr. Ham to include my, fi- my small five-hour contribution to their two-hour discussion. I know they appreciate it. And I understand that their debate is already available to be purchased which is puzzling, I know you're thinking that, because I'm not through with my modest little ten hours of addendum here. So how could they possibly have their debate DVD, DVD, sorry, I could hardly say these things, for purchase without my 15 hours of corrections? And surely they are aware of the potential legal aspects and difficulties if they mistakenly send out only their portion without my 20 hours of appendices. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was thinking that I would warn them. I know you, you think that I should, and I thought about it. But I also didn't want to alert them to what I'm actually doing. But uh, I expect it to be a package set. I, I really, uh, okay, I don't expect that at all. There's no hope that that will happen. But in any event, uh, uh, what I'm doing is I couldn't help but watch it and go, wow, the subject is, is not being covered. And why isn't it being covered? I know why it isn't being covered, and I'll explain as we go. Anyway, we, uh, we left off last Sunday with the introduction of the second law of thermodynamics. I threw it in quickly at the end, and the challenges that the first and second law are th- thermodynamic principles as a whole, the challenges that that poses to evolutionary dogma, it's a barrier. You need to know it's a barrier, and it is a powerful barrier. And they have a way of trying to uh, uh, circumvent it, but I uh, will, will suggest to them that they are not doing themselves uh, a service. Suffice to say, Mr. Ham and Mr. Nye, if they, if they really wanted to do something great, and I wish they had, they should have devoted their entire time to the second law of thermodynamics. Just the second law. And the implications and the consequences that result from that law. Mr. Nye, I submit, would have been startled by the mathematical community, as well as the physicists and the computer scientists. Uh, They would bring information theory. Information theory is the increase and preservation of information contained in genetic code. I'm concerned about Mr. Nye's awareness of the issue. I I thought that, uh, certainly Mr. Ham, Mr. Ham has a, a... a sledgehammer. He's got a flamethrower here. And uh, no discussion of it occurred. Mr. Nye has to know that thermodynamics poses a tremendous problem, just as the observer effect does. I said last week, particle physics says this, that the physical construct 
will collapse without an intelligent agency observing it. That's just quantum physics. That's a big problem. That's why we study the philosophy uh, of that element, George Berkeley, for example. But thermodynamics is every much the same. And these scientists in the mathematical community, as well as the physicists and the information theory people, are quietly but relentlessly tearing down uh, evolutionary precepts. And why that did not surface in this uh, debate is an, is an issue. Uh, again, in their defense, I know why. Because it's such a difficult subject. And it is not entertaining. As entertained as you folks are right now, this is not entertaining. Uh, I say things like that because the vast Internet audience thinks that you really are entertained. I have built you up to where they go, wow, those people are something else. They listen to this for hours on end. No, they don't. You should see them. And they want me to film you. They do. They really do. They want to know what you look like, where they can find you. <laughs> but in defense of uh, Mr. Ham and Mr. Nye, this is a difficult subject to, to master. Uh, it takes a lifetime, like anything else of this kind of level. And it's not entertaining. And as soon as you're not entertaining, your audience shrinks immediately. And it requires thinking. Imagine that for a change. Emotion is not an asset when you're studying the first and second laws of thermodynamics, the thermodynamic principles. When you're doing music, emotion good. When you're doing entropy, emotion bad. Unfortunately, thermodynamics is discussed emotionally. All you got to do is get on the Internet. The Internet is, is almost, um, it is both a wonderful thing and it is a cesspool simultaneously. But, uh, and, and it is discussed emotionally, as if emotional arguments are somehow persuasive. I... I should say it more often. And I look, we're emotional beings. I got all of that. I'm emotional uh, sometimes, mostly when I'm right. Okay, always when I'm right. And, of course, I am always right. So, therefore, never mind. Emotions should be discredited immediately in these topics when they're discussed. This is just math. And if it's not math, it's... Uh, physics and science, and there is no room for emotion. Yeah, emotion, when it is used as a desperation tactic, mostly it means that you are not able to adequately defend your position, and it may be adequate to calm the already willing believers, for example, of evolution, who have placed themselves into this really difficult position where their personal philosophy demands that their evolutionary uh, concepts be true. They will be devastated if not. They will say the same for us, by the way. So that probably is why the emotional aspect rises, but it should be discredited. Uh, repeatedly screaming out that Christians are stupid, Christians are stupid, as Mr. Nye essentially relied on, makes I hope makes wise people suspicious. That's a smear the witness uh, technique. It's used in politics, as you would be aware. I have asked for many years, why do atheists, and I've said it to them, why do you atheists? I was in a debate with a gentleman whose son and wife were in the front row, and I said, 
why don't you tell your son that you will and he will and his mom will and his dog will and his friends will all cease to exist when you die. That is your belief. Tell him that. And the boy looked at his father and said, do we believe that? I couldn't have asked for a better moment. I was kind of heartless when I was younger. I said, tell him, why, why do you love this? And he told his son, but to give him credit, yes, son, when we die, we will cease to exist. And I asked him, why do you love that? You do. You love it. This hopeless, purposeless, meaningless, doomed evolutionary premise, it's marinated, soaked in death. That's what it is. Some people will say, well, it's amoral. Listen, you have moral or you have not moral. There is no in-between. And, and evolutionary uh, philosophy is clung to inexplicably. Uh, why would someone want this? And they say it's the truth, and obviously uh, they don't think so. Because that's you can see the evidence that they really don't believe it. They just cannot have the other side prevail. And they will tell you ultimately, when you get one of them that's candid and honest, listen, it isn't that so much that I think this is a a position that can be defended. It's just that the Bible, I, I will never allow the Bible to be uh, institutionalized in the school or anywhere else. It's not so much that I think this is right, they will say, but you, you can't be allowed. Because of what? The consequences. But I always ask, who chooses this evolutionary thinking and why? Why not choose life and hope and goodness? As you know, I call all that the why of evolution, and we will possibly get to that today. That's not right. When I wrote that, that's page 4. I'm on page 15. I didn't get to it. So uh, not likely, not only not likely, but not happening today. But next week, I hope. Now, quickly, before I restart the second law of thermodynamics, I want to uh, deal with this uh, canard, this... Uh, uh, oh, it just is, seems to be all that's out there sometimes. It's, a, it's really sad, I, I know. But they say this, God is a, a trickster, God is a liar. It, it surfaces constantly and it is, of course, a falsehood. It can't be defended. But it goes something like this. Because evolution, this is how they word it, and I, so I'm quoting them now. Because evolution is an indisputable, established scientific fact... Let me say that again. Because evolution is an indisputable, established scientific fact, they will say, to believe in a literal 24-hour, six-day creation model would render God a trickster, a liar, which is the same thing. And if he is a trickster and a liar, then what else is he? He's also evil, because lying is evil. What they mean by that is they say you're putting God, since evolution, note the premise, evolution is a proven fact, they say, then God would be in the position of intentionally burying and fossilizing dinosaur bones 65 million years ago in order to fool people. Because 65 million year old fossilized, permineralized dinosaur, unpermineralized dinosaur bones. Well, never mind. Just stick with the basics here. We covered that last week. Dinosaur bones. Get some medicine. Trying to go fast, aren't it? I feel like Peyton Manning. I've got to speed up my game and I can't do it. Shouldn't say that, should I? But I had Seattle. 
So that's my way of gloating right there. 65 million year old dinosaur bones. If you accept that, you cannot reconcile it with a six day creation position in Genesis. You cannot. And they know it. And they are convinced that they are correct. So therefore, the literal interpretation of Genesis is not true. And if it were true, then God must have buried those bones for the sole purpose of fooling people. Because he made them look like they were 65 million years old. That's what they say. None of that, by the way, makes any sense, nor is any of it true. But they say it all the time as if it is. And it scares people. It should never scare people. They also uh, uh, look at the light from distant galaxies as if uh, that has been resolved. And in the future Sundays here, um, we'll do our best to resolve it, but not in the way that people think, I'm sure. Not at least from their side. Yeah, and you may recognize the underlying under. Uh, underlayment of that, that God is an evil, wicked, pathological mass murderer who delights in condemning good people into everlasting torment, or, or the evil God position uh, from our Pascal's wager that we will get back to. Okay? I'm going to quote one Christian evolutionist. Um, he says this, uh, a Christian who has decided that he cannot... He, cannot, he, he would like to live next door to people that believe in a literal um, creation position because he knows those are basically people that are trying everything they can to do what's right. He wants them as neighbors, but he wants to believe in evolution. He knows evolution is evil, but he thinks it's been proven. So his, his conundrum, his life now exists of this. I'm a Christian. I believe all the Bible except the Genesis part, which, oops... But I'm going to do that. I'm going to just accept the the, uh, the part that I like, and I'm going to say there is a God, and God has used this destructive, tearing, devouring, method-killing system in order to create life. That's what I got. And the literalist position on Genesis is not true because I believe this is. What a way to go. Uh, again, why? But I'll quote him. He considered this a defense, essentially, of creationism. God has endowed man, he said, with rational abilities, and those abilities have concluded the fact of evolution. Therefore, the literal six-day creation position of the Bible is to be rejected. Um, But he wants to live next to people that think that, because they'll be good people, because he knows the evolutionary model is evil. And eventually, it's so destructive to society, you don't want to live with any of them, but by golly, you got to make sure they're teaching science, even though they're destroying the society simultaneously. Of course, they will say not. Plus, it's relativism. You're going to cease to exist, so go ahead and do whatever you want anyway. What difference does it make? There is no hope. I made the comment. I connected last week. Anthropogenic global warming. I hope you begin to see the similarities between anthropogenic global warming philosophy and evolution. They have the same why. They do the same thing. The hardcore of both groups are usually the same people. Okay, let's, let's just take on that gentleman's issue. It's back to this. Uniformitarianism, or if you wish, vast amounts of time, or flood deposits. That's your, really your choice. 
Is the evidence a flood deposit? Or is the evidence vast amounts of time of the same processes that have always existed doing the same thing? So is it uniformitarianism or flood deposit? Geological column or catastrophism? Do I have geological sediments laid down? And by the way, we'll get into the geological column. Is there any place on earth where the entire geological column, as it is referenced in geological studies, is there any place on earth where we find all of it? You know, I find it in the textbooks, but there is a correlation issue here. I find some of it here and some of it here and some of it here, and I have to put it into a geological column. We'll get into correlation at some point in the future. Again, I know I keep telling you uh, that it is cor- that all these things are in the future, and they are. But do I have a geological column view, or do I have a catastroph- catastrophism view? Am I a catastrophist? Help, the sky is falling. Do- Cosmic microwave background radiation, or or universal, if you want, the universe's thermal equilibrium, the horizon problem, uh, with regard to the speed of light and the expansion of of the universe versus the speed of the matter during that expansion. How, How do I interpret this? Do I have to say what this gentleman says, that uh, evolution is a fact? Uh, and, of course, I don't think so at all. I can't imagine that you, you find yourself in that position where you're embracing something that you yourself de- describe as evil because you think evil is right. And that, that, to me, for a Christian, is astonishing. I'm going to choose what I think is evil because I believe, I believe humanity has proven evil to be correct. So... I'll get more mail now. Obviously, my response is that, indeed, God has given mankind rational capabilities, and some disregard them to love a a philosophy that proclaims that despair and cessation into blackness or nothingness is all that our so-called life then entails. And others, uh, me, you, hopefully everyone listening, uh, we're going to trust the revealed uh, God of Scripture. My rational abilities have led me to conclude that God is the fact. Though my thoughts or opinions on the matter have not been considered by God. To uh, paraphrase C.S. Lewis, God is a fact irrespective of my position or anyone else's. Okay, where were we? We left off right here. The sun, natural selection, and vast amounts of time. And I said, let's go ahead and take on the sun first. Because the sun is very important uh, to evolution. These are the three pillars, if you will, of evolution. And to review before we proceed, uh, let's talk about classical thermodynamics really fast. Classical thermodynamics concerns itself with heat and mechanical energy. Okay? The conversion of heat to mechanical energy uh, is what it's doing. The conversion of mechanical energy then back to heat or heat and work relationships. When I work physically, it's mechanical energy, I, I uh, let off heat, I replace that energy lost by metabolism, so I have this heat and work relationship. That is thermodynamic in a very basic form. Now, the first law, I'm going to read it. I wrote some of it on the board um, so that I wouldn't have to, so I could keep going quickly. First law of thermodynamics, nothing. 
is now coming into existence. Nothing. Or going out of existence. Consider the spiritual implications of that, just, just that portion. Now, God, remember, says, I knew you before you were formed. Nothing is coming into existence and nothing goes out of existence. This is the first law of thermodynamics. What does that say about you? You're a thing. I'm a thing. We're a a created thing. This first law of thermodynamics says nothing is is now coming into existence or going out of existence. Matter and energy may be converted into one another. Matter may go to energy. Energy may go to matter. But there is no net increase in the combined total of what exists. This is called the law, law of energy conservation sometimes. That's the first law of thermodynamics. The second law says this. Every system left to its own devices, or an isolated system, if you will, always tends to move from order to disorder, its energy tending to be transformed into lower levels of availability for work. In other words, if I have an isolated system, the the, uh, order or the complexity of that system will move from order to disorder. And the amount of energy that's available to do work gets lower and lower and lower. So ultimately becoming totally random and, and, and unavailable for any work. The entropy in an isolated closed system cannot decrease. Entropy cannot decrease, which means an isolated system cannot become more complex. Notice the emphasis emphasizing more soda. The emphasis on isolated or closed system. The entropy of a closed system cannot decrease. Left alone, an ordered system will become disordered. And the availability, energy available for work will become lower until no work is available. All of that means that without a complex energy source, Without a complex energy source and a complex energy conversion mechanism, high entropy is going to result and cannot decrease into low entropy. Now, the earth is an amazing, it's a spectacular, undeniable, low entropy environment, meaning we're in an environment of astonishing complexity. Absolutely astonishing. Take any element of it. High order. We'll get into irreducibility. The complexity so much so that I can't reduce it. Every single element that I have, for example, has to be in place. And they're independent of each other. They had to develop independently in order to to do a, a complex task. If any one of them are missing, then there is no complex task. That's called irreducibility. We'll get into that again as we go forward in this discussion. How long am I going to go? I know, you say, my goodness, make him stop. Okay, but again, we're in an environment of astonishing high order complexity. How did that happen? Thermodynamics says, second law, this is not probable. So how did this improbable event occur? By the way, mankind, you and me, us, we, 
have the capacity, the capability to increase the order. That's an amazing thing. Don't take it for granted. Or we can decrease the, uh, the entropy, if you want to call it, remember that. We can increase the order, or we can decrease the entropy. Same thing. And this, by the way, is the relationship between the principles of thermodynamics and Genesis 126. So, note Genesis 126. God would know about thermodynamics, wouldn't he? Now, unfortunately, my Bible doesn't, I don't have Genesis 126. Yes, I might. Yes, I do. How about that? First few pages, the duct tape is begin. My, my Bible is going into, uh, going from low entropy into high entropy. Duct tape is my preservation system. And, and, and I am the intelligent agency that is interfering with the entropy process. But it's not working. Then God said, let us make man Okay, intelligent agencies creating a man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle. He likes to call beasts, by the way, cattle. It's almost a generic term to him. You have to know why. That's an aside. Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Okay, male and female. Mankind has a unique status. Mankind has the ability to increase the order, to lower the entropy in a, in a system. Man can affect low entropy and, uh, effect, not affect, effect low entropy. It's a creative element. And I want you to notice the relationship now to God's image. I want to ask you this. The ability to impact entropy, is that the definition of the image of God? Or is it in the definition of image of God? I'm going to submit to you that it is. But an energy source is required. The earth is an open system and we, uh, an energy source is required. The earth, uh, as an open system, has an outside energy source. And that energy source is the what? It is the sun. Uh, Bill made, wanted to make sure that I said S-U-N so that I don't confuse people. It is the ball of nuclear reactive uh, components up in the, uh, uh, up in the, or in the far away reaches. How many million miles exactly do you know? 93 million? But, uh, that is the outside energy source. In the open system, that's the earth. And mankind can design and build and plan and create in a way. Man can make. He can adjust. He can, um, he can create in a very limited sense. He cannot take something out of nothing. He cannot convert matter into energy and energy into matter. That's God does that. But he can take something and manipulate it. In the physical reality. That, by the way, takes you into Genesis 6, too. Manipulation of the physical reality. As an aside, really quickly, throw it in there, because I'm ahead of, I'm on, I'm ahead of pace. I'm running two miles, and I'm going to break eight minutes. I never in my life could break eight minutes. Twelve minutes was my big goal as a young man. 
That was over a hundred pounds ago. Okay, 85. In the physical death of the body, when I have physical death, I go from low entropy, where the body is preserving its complexity. When it dies, I began this decay, if you will, to high entropy. I'm going from order to disorder. So I have not just a relationship with thermodynamics with regard to a human being and his ability to manipulate entropy, but I also have this relationship between physical death, the subsequent decay process after the physical death of the, po- of the body. Uh, that witnesses low entropy increasing to high entropy. And it would be necessary to reverse the entropy action for the dead body to go back to low entropy. Does that make sense? If I'm going from low entropy to high entropy, pretty soon I have what of the body? I have dust. If I want to reverse that process, I have to have some mechanism to reverse it. And an application of energy would be necessary to reverse the heretofore irreversible thermodynamic reaction. Now, by the way, it shouldn't be surprising to you that... uh, God himself says, I can reverse the thermodynamic process. What you think is irreversible, I can reverse. He says it in John 11:25. He God says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I can reverse the thermodynamic process. I can take high entropy and put it back into low entropy. I have that power. It's what he's saying. As clear as a bell. He also says it in John 8.12. I am the light of the world. He is the energy that can convert matter to energy, energy to matter. He's the prime of all. Not the prime, not first. I'm sorry, not prime. I can't say it. He's prime of all. First. Light. So I want you to note the relationship between the second law of thermodynamics and physical death. Also note the second law considers physical properties only. We're going to have to consider spiritual properties. The evolutionist doesn't consider spiritual properties. The evolutionist is only concerned with physical or material properties. And that's all that exists for the monistic evolutionist. He thinks there is no spiritual component to a human being. That's the dualists that think that. We think there's two components, a physical and a spiritual. He thinks there is only a physical property. And, and so that's why they're called physicalists or materialists. And they propose that spontaneous biological life occurred when the sun gave the energy that overcame the second law of thermodynamics. So I have an open system. The earth is an open system, not an isolated system. I have a sun providing energy. I have disorder, high entropy, on the earth, and the sun hits the earth with a tremendous amount of energy, and that causes a spontaneous eruption of life. High entropy disorder becomes low entropy order. Second law of thermodynamics is, is overcome, that barrier uh, circumvented, and non-life is converted to life. And what does that is the energy from the sun. And they will say it over and over and over and over again. 
The Christians will get up and say, wait a minute, you've got a problem with thermodynamics. Things It's not the very low probability that things go from high order, I'm sorry, go from high disorder to high order. And then in the case of the earth, spectacular complexity. Very thermodynamics resists that. And they say, no, well, it's because you idiots don't know that we have a sun. Look, there it is. We don't have it in Alaska so we can be forgiven. But, but, uh, but, and eventually, the evolutionary position is natural selection. This, the number two of the threefold cornerstones of evolutionary theory. Uh, once I have the energy from the sun into an open system, I, uh, uh, thermodynamics is rendered uh, mute, if you will, and now natural selection takes over. Somehow I got from non-life to life in, in violation of the law of biogenesis, but that's okay. I got it. It's proof that I got it because we're all here and we all got here by evolutionary processes. That's how they respond to that. So get used to that. So natural selection kicked in. It's very powerful. Not as powerful as the sun, but it's right there. We have the one-two punch of the sun providing energy and then natural selection refining biological life that came from non-biological sources. And we have this vast, spectacular decreases in entropy, our complexity increases in complexity. The light heat energy of the sun being first the catalyst, if you will, the sustaining element also in natural selection being part of the process. Eventually, I have to have this vast amounts of time. But I'm getting off track, getting ahead of myself. This is a long sentence. I wrote it and went, I wrote, woo, woo, woo. So this is not going to make any sense to anybody but me. The defense, then, of spontaneous evolution against the second law of thermodynamics, which resists spontaneous evolution because the second law says the circumstances that are that would uh, allow order to rise from disorder are not plausible. But the defense against that is that order can rise from disorder, it can increase spontaneously. It's boiled down to this essentially. Spectacular reductions in local entropy. In other words, a, a, a system, a local system that is open. Spectacular reductions in local entropy, which would be increased complexity. I can't say that enough. Are consistent with the second law if there are com- compensatory or constant con- Compensating entropy increases elsewhere. Does that make any sense to anybody? Okay. I can have increases, I mean decreases in entropy in box A. So if I got box A and then I have this system B and I have an energy source into A, if I get this entropy to decrease so I raise the complexity, then I have to do what to the other other one? I have to compensate. Whatever I put into there, I lose from here. So I lose order here if I gain order there. If I gain order here, I lose order here and the inverse. Does that make sense? It's called the compensation argument. And you can see what, why they do that, because they've got to deal with this uh, no net increase conservation of energy issue. You can think of it this way. The sun is losing order when it supplies energy to the earth, and the earth is gaining order, but there is no net increase. Now, that's in dispute a little bit. We'll get to that in a minute. 
The evolutionists will say that the second law only applies to an isolated system. And life has evolved in an open system. So these two laws, they will say, only happen in closed system where there is no outside energy source. We don't live in an outside energy source. We live in an open energy source or an open system. And that's true, by the way. And life has evolved in our open system, they will say. And a reversal of the second law can and has occurred because the sun added energy to the system. So you cannot say to us that thermodynamics precludes evolution from occurring. They will say, no, you stupid, stupid person. We have the sun providing energy and that takes care of evolutionary needs. So all over the internet and all over the media, the evolutionists triumphantly proclaim the stupid Christians are so stupid they don't know that the second law of thermodynamics is not in conflict with the evolution of life and its subsequent explosion uh, into spectacular uh, complexity, lower entropy, because the stupid Christians don't know that the energy provided by the sun was far greater than what was represented by the evolutionary process. In other words, the sun's energy is far more energy than the in decrease in entropy that resulted from it. Again, it's always possible for one part of the universe to change entropy. I can't even say it today. Entropically, is it okay? Entropy. Say it with me. Entropically. The evolutionary people insist if the totality of the universe increases in entropy, then a local system can decrease in entropy. So I have this compensation. Entropically. Try to say that with an enlarged tongue and no diet coke. Impress your friends. They also say things like, remove the sun and the human brain could not have developed. Thank you. Therithathy is trying to keep me on time. Just in case you were worried. We have a system. Isaac Asimov said that. He is beloved by the evolutionary uh, uh, philosophers. Remove the sun and the human brain cannot develop because evolution needs that energy source. And when creations say, and there's another quote, this is Richard Dawkins, uh, who is equally famous. He loves alien life, by the way, if you ever watch Ben Stein's movie. Richard Dawkins claims he was just kidding, but I, I don't think he was. I think that he loves aliens. Uh, he will disregard God. He does have no possibility that God exists, but he's more than willing to accept aliens uh, bringing life to the earth. Um, <laughs> that, that, that is astonishing, I know. I hope it was a joke for his sake, but I have to admit, he told it as if it was not. So he is a brilliant, brilliant actor as a scientist. He's one of the greatest actors of all time. But why would they take alien beings, by the way? Because aliens don't bring judgment. We'll do anything we can do. We love anything. We hate the Bible. And we hate the person that wrote it. And we'll take anything else we can get on the table in lieu of that. 
Here's what Richard Dawkins says. When creationists say that the theory of evolution contradicts the second law of thermodynamics, they are telling us no more than they don't understand the second law. There is no contradiction because of the sun. And that's why I said a couple weeks ago, they love the sun. They, they would make the Egyptians look like Boy Scouts. If the evolutionists had their way, everything would be named raw. R-A. They would have sun gods. I'm surprised we don't have pictures of the sun all over all the scientific community. We all bow down and say, yay, the sun. S-U-N. So again, poor, stupid, stupid, stupid Christians. We don't notice the sun supplying compensatory energy. And that's the way this debate goes. Yes, ma'am. Listen, that's tur- yeah, that's turtles all the way down. And we'll have to get to turtles all the way down. Do you have your Who Made God book by, uh, um, I have to find you one now. Make a note. Come and see me afterwards and I will get one. But yes, they have an argument to that. So we'll, we'll make sure that we, we'll, we'll get to it. But it's a, a, most people ask them, where did the sun come from? Listen, I don't even want to get into those kinds of debates because um, that, those almost become a distraction. We get to that <coughs> after we have a very... You destroy them just with thermodynamics. You destroy them with the, with the illogic of their position with regard to the philosophy of it. Okay. Let's take a closer look. Obviously, entropy has decreased on the earth. It's amazing. Amazingly so. Is the energy from the sun the reason that that happened? Can the energy, the light and the heat from the sun, can that cause a spontaneous eruption of spectacular low entropy? Can a local system, the earth, be taken to a less probable state? Remember, it's in high disorder. Can it go to a, which is the high probable state? Everything goes to high disorder. That is the second law of thermodynamics. Every system left to its own devices tends to move from order to disorder. So I have a high probability state. It is highly probable that the earth would be just high disorder. Then the sun, if you will, might be shining whenever you decide the sun has begun to hit the earth. However you want to figure that system came into being. Have, have it your way. I, I won't argue with you. Can this local system that is in a high probable disordered state be taken to a less probable state, low entropy, by the natural forces of heat and light? The sun. Can it do it? If the sun is the answer to Katrina's question, can, can it really be the answer? Does it work? Now, the underlying principle of the second law is that natural forces do not cause extremely improbable things to occur. And it is extremely improbable to go from a high entropy state to a low entropy state by natural forces. That is a, the underlying principle. And there are no known violations of the second law of thermodynamics. None. Does the second law, now that's the first question, I was asking another question, does the second law, because I've given you this, that 
there's a difference between an open system and a closed system, right? I've just been beating on it for the last 50 minutes. Is there really a difference? They say over and over again that the, the first and second laws of thermodynamics only apply to a closed system. They do not apply to an open system. Okay, really? Does the second law apply to open systems as well as to closed systems? That's something that needs to be answered. If the law applies to open systems, then evolutionary probability is done for. It's ended, and they know it. If first and second laws of thermodynamics apply to open systems, there is no possibility that evolution could cause non-life to become life spontaneously with heat and or with thermal energy effectively and radiation is merely an open system and an available energy supply all that is necessary to overcome the inviolate second law i don't mean purple non non violate non violate cannot be violated some people say why do you call these things purple all the time well that's that's my attempt at saying inviolate. <laughs> so let me repeat that so I will, as a professional, I have to get myself back on track. Is merely an open system and an available energy supply. So I have an open system and I have the sun. Is that all I need to overcome a law that cannot and has not ever been violated? And I'm going to say, you know, that's not what I need. I need more than that. I need uh, additional systems, at least two. I need a program direction. I need uh, uh, the direction to be planned and programmed somehow. We make the case it's in the DNA system. That's in information theory. But I have to have program direction, and I have to have a mechanism for storing and converting incoming energy. In plants, I have photosynthesis. And humans or animals have metabolism. I have to come up with a way for those two systems to be uh, instituted. It's my opinion by saying that the sun is the cause is not adequate. Because I want to know how did the sun do it? What is the totality of this life thing? The sun providing light and heat is not enough in my view, to explain a local reduction in entropy. Life has been caused or created. Did heat and light alone cause life? There's Katrina's question. Is this a repeatable, observable effect? Can I blast a closed system or an open system with heat and picket? Uh, if I blast an open system with heat and light, do I get life? How much time does this take? Again, we're going to get to number three. They'll say time is the issue and that it has occurred. So we'll uh, continue this discussion. But I'm just, for today, I'm giving you the basic outline. Life has been caused and created spontaneously, they will say. Did heat and light alone cause this life? They will say yes, because this is the only hope they got. It happened. You're here. We're all here. So it had to happen. Heat light does not direct, it does not plan, it does not design, nor does it natural selection. They are mindless. Natural selection and the sun are mindless. How does a mindless component defeat entropy? That becomes my next question. 
Do I need mindfulness? Do I need intelligence to defeat thermodynamics? Can a mindless component, again, defeat entropy? And that, by the way, was Darwin's extraordinary claim. That's what he claimed. He said that he had conceived of a mechanism by which high entropy could be converted into low entropy without an intelligent agency, without mindfulness. And by the way, that's in collision with the observation effect. The observer effect, intelligent observation agency, perception is necessary for physical reality. That's George Berkeley, that's quantum physics. And we stupid Christians note that only two mechanisms have been known to reduce entropy in a local open system. There's only been two. Intelligent agency and ubiquitous physical natural laws. It's the only two. And we'll get into the four forces of physics next week. Notice everything is next week. Why am I doing that? Trying to generate enthusiasm for this subject. How am I doing? (laughs) You all laughed. (laughs) Okay. But seriously, listen, I've been doing it so long, I haven't done it for many years, so I guess that's not adequate, but I've been doing it for so long that um, I know I can do it. My kids know I can do it. My neighbors know I can do it. When somebody dies, they come to me and I say things like, we're talking about the reversal of thermodynamics. And somebody says he can reverse thermodynamics. So, don't don't lose hope. You don't have to believe in despair. You can choose something that actually is defensible as opposed to indefensible. But only two mechanisms have ever been known to reduce entropy in an open uh, system. Intelligent agency and physical natural laws. The ubiquity of law, by the way, means the universality of law. So applying heat and light... I, I think you can make the case it only increases entropy. Uh, I, I don't think uh, it doesn't organize, it doesn't direct, it doesn't program. And I recognize I barely started this entropy discussion, and we're going to have to continue it because I've got to get into crystal formations and snowflakes and other such things. But uh, let's leave with this. A prominent evolutionist uses this as an example. He's all over the Internet. This is what he says. Everybody, uh, uh, if you will, just cheers and roars and just this is a this is somebody that can't be defeated he is the giant if you will of the local uh, internet uh, constituency for evolution the evolutionary church loves their pastor and this is what he says as an example of reversibility of the laws of thermodynamics again christ says god says i can reverse the principles of thermodynamics i fully expect that why he's the one that designed it if you will now, it's subject to, to sin, and we have this disintegration that's occurring. It's even more so thermodynamics, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, as, uh, as God begins to put us back in the way we were. But this is what this gentleman says, a professor, very smart man. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want to say that he's not. He is. But uh, he has a willingness to ignore obvious facts. So what's his motivation for that? That becomes important next week. Uh, again, it's uh, if I create despair in people, then what have I rendered them? I've rendered them uh, certainly disorganized, and I have rendered them incomplete. I have made them very vulnerable, and they're easy to control, and they're easy to manipulate, 
And uh, I think ultimately that becomes the philosophy of the people. Uh, they also uh, want as many to die with them as they can. That's part of the lie of Satan. Okay, here we go. Quoting this man now. Quote, if we unplug a generator, I'm sorry, a refrigerator. Can't even read my own writing. If we unplug a refrigerator. Let me repeat that a second. If we unplug a refrigerator. This is a defense on the re- reversibility of thermodynamics. The thermodynamics high disorder can be reversed into low disorder. This is his defense. He's brilliant. We're just stupid. Look at all us stupid people. We should have a portrait. We'll be in the stupid Hall of Fame, all of us. If we unplug a refrigerator, I, I, well, as soon as I read it, I laughed. Heat will flow to the interior of the refrigerator from the surrounding exterior, and entropy increase inside the refrigerator will be greater than the entropy decrease in the surroundings, and the net change will be positive, which, see, he's saying, I will have a net change that is positive, not neutral or null. And then, if we plug it back in, insert laugh track here, There is a spontaneous reversal of the irreversibility or the irreversible change. And due to the input of electricity, due to the input of electricity, I assume it has something to do with plugging it in. So, never mind. I can't get through it. Due to the input of electricity to the compressor and its condenser coil system, heat is transferred back into the surrounding exterior. And the entropy increase in the surrounding exterior is greater than the entropy decrease of the interior. Here again, he says, the net entropy change is positive, as would be expected for any spontaneous process, say, evolution. Wow. And and then I read the, boy, is this guy brilliant. Stop. Okay. And I just went, what? Are you kidding Is this an example of evolutionary processes, this plugging and unplugging of a refrigerator and a compressor providing generated electricity from Chukach Electric through transmission lines and transformers put up by linemen with trucks and poles and all that stuff? I plug it back in through a distribution panel, through a breaker panel, through metal clad 12-3 into a duplex receptacle and a cord. I plugged it in. Me. Little old me did that. So this is an example of evolutionary processes. What he just gave us is an example. I'm just going, you've got to be kidding. Why would you destroy your own argument so so easily for me? He says this is how evolution could overcome, how evolution could as a mindless agent overcome entropy. And I'm just, this is your example. A refrigerator that we plug in and we unplug. We is a what? We are an intelligent, mindful agency. The refrigerator is an example of an intelligent, mindful agency that designed it and built it. This is Westinghouse on it, if you will. We, an intelligent, mindful agency with deliberate and planned actions, acting in concert with a designed compressor, with a designed refrigerator, and a designed coil system, and a light bulb in it, if you will, overcome the principles of thermodynamics. 
An energy conversion mechanism is what we are. The unplugger and the plugger back, inner, if you will. That's a scientific term for both of those. That's clearly the energy conversion mechanism. It's planned, it's willful, it's deliberate actions of an intelligent agency executing a carefully designed and implemented mechanism to reduce entropy in an open system, the refrigerator. I hope that made sense to you. If this is an example of a prominent evolutionary argument, we are against pure madness. It's madness. Romans 1, 18 through 32. Read it again. Because anybody that thinks that a refrigerator is an example of a high entropy open system and plugging and unplugging it is somehow reversing thermodynamic law and principles. How do I deal with that? I don't know. I will try to give his side of the argument next week. For now, for today, I will tell you that Romans 1, 18 through 32 says that God says, I give you over to madness. It's just the way it is. It's a very sad thing. Okay, more of this exciting discussion for you to share with your friends and neighbors next week. Don't miss it. Invite everybody. You're on the bus. Call them. Say, hey. I have something that's really fun. They will hate you forever. Let's rise and be dismissed.